Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women, Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Gemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today we have the honor of having Karen Krupp joining us. Thank you for being here, Karen. Thank you for having me, Gemma. My first question, can you please introduce yourself with an emphasis on the kind of abuse you overcame in your life? Yes. Okay, I'm Karen, as you said, and I'm a self-empowerment coach, and I discovered the abuse through all the personal growth work I had been doing for myself these past years and years now, um, that I was truly molested as a 13-year-old, and it was a pattern that developed with feeling the neediness in me for validation from men because I had gotten so rejected and pushed away by my father as a child. As a middle child of seven children, and I was compared a lot to my younger sister. Um, I love my younger sister. I kind of blame my father for it. And just too many kids in a family, I think, sometimes it's difficult for parents. So feeling that constant, my dad would have this little hand motion that used to bother me so much of feeling so pushed away and rejected. And I think it started as young as three. I'm an affectionate person. I've been a massage therapist for 21 years, as well as a self-empowerment coach. Um, and I need touch and it was something I didn't receive as a child and I didn't learn what touch was about healthy touch. I didn't learn anything about that. So as soon as I was able at 13, I was wanting that affection from boys, not knowing that I was uncomfortable with it also and felt so, um, violated, but yet pushed it down because it felt also so good. And then, so when you become an adult and you see that pattern back then, you have so much shame around it. So I dealt with a lot of shame also in my life that uh, came out in many ways, you know? Um, but I repeated this pattern throughout my life, being married to people that were like my father, good providers. He was there for us. He gave us education. Um, he was um, sometimes there, most of the time not. So I married men, also good providers, but weren't really, weren't really there. Also did a lot of abandonment and rejection the last one even had that little hand motion of just get away. And it was just so heartbreaking. Um, <clears throat> and it was a turning point then when the pandemic started in 2020, where I felt so rejected and pushed away by him because I was in fear when that pandemic started. And he just retreated to his garage and didn't want to talk to me, didn't want to address the issue going on, wasn't following the rules that were out there. And um, I have never felt so abandoned in my life. And we've tried marriage counseling a couple of times and I just fell into a deep, dark hole and I got super depressed. And this is after many other times of being rejected as well. This was the final straw for me was um, I was done with that kind of crap anymore. I was done with being pushed away. I was done with someone not listening to me. I was done with not being heard and spoken to with love. Well, I knew that I could heal my wounds if someone would just listen to me. Instead, I would just keep getting rejected. So I wrote on my mirror in lipstick, I am enough. And I had to read that every day and look at it every day. And nature helped me heal a lot, getting out and walking every day um, as much as I could. That's when I started my connection to God is through nature many years prior to that. But that helped me along the way as well. I totally understand and totally empathize with you. Thank you for um, empathize. Thank you for um, sharing all of that. 
question for you. That's my curiosity. Did you come up with, right? Did you come up by yourself with writing I am enough with a lipstick on your mirror? Or did you hear that and thought, let me give it a try? I think it came to me um, through messages and being in nature. I think it came to me through seeing signs in nature. I kind of resonate a lot with stuff coming to me through my walks, certain birds show up and I would go look up what the symbol means. Numbers from angels, repeating numbers kept showing up and I kept seeing it over and over. Um, I got a message years ago prior to this event with um, a hawk that came into my circle of space doing a night um, vision quest I had been on or yoga retreat. And the hawk represents staying grounded in your presence and being who you are. So it was kind of getting back in touch with my connection to God and and in knowing that I am enough and seeing it through my children's eyes, they kept saying, you're enough, get away from this person, you know, and I wasn't listening. <clears throat> and I finally was able to listen to it coming through to me. What age were your children when they gave you that feedback that you are they're enough? All, they're all adults. <laughs> they, okay, were so adults. adults. they were able to tell you that? Yeah, in their own well. relationships. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I just remember my son when he was seven years old he told me you have to leave that guy when do we leave mom yeah gosh no 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 we stay and we stay forever yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> another i don't know eight years after that it took me a long time <laughs> maybe i have a thick head <laughs> i think that when we stay in those unhealthy relationships because at that level it's just unhealthy but just unhealthy just means like you are just wasting your life away when you stay in there but that ideal that ideation that in marriage should be love care togetherness having each other's back and all of that it's like no i have to stay and he's like oh gosh so that key moment what is that key moment when you realize you're not going to do that any longer it's over no more no more abuse no more feeling rejected <laughs> sorry no more feeling rejected let's let's change that yeah you're asking me what that key moment was for me yeah it happened twice once was when i was in a relationship living with a guy um we had it was after my second divorce and i had dated a little bit and we i got into a long distance long distance relationship with someone and after a year we decided to live together and he moved from arizona to live with me in ohio and at only about 15 weeks later he decided he was out and he left me and i dove into such a deep depression having been left by my second husband and having this person leave me and i just remember falling to the ground in such depression and praying for help and my uncle who was alive at the time and is a Catholic priest calls me out of the blue now we didn't have like a really good relationship and we had a relationship just you know he's family and he's around all the time but he and I didn't have like a lot of rapport or anything he says I was thinking of you and I just had this thought I should turn around and come visit you and I, I just started crying and I'm like oh my gosh there's this person that reached to me that was a man of God coming through God came to my house and put his hands over my head and prayed for me and it was so enlightening and it felt so loved um 
That was a turning point, but yet I entered another relationship with the same rejection after that. When I got married the third time, the same stuff happened. And that's when I got that message again, again, being in a super depressed place, wanting to just be done. And I kept going out of my way to say, well, I have to, what do I have to change about me? How do I get him? You know, I'm being so thoughtful. I'm doing all this support and yet he's seeing no support. And I kept trying to change myself. And then I got the message to stop changing myself that I'm okay where I, who I am as I am and put up healthy boundaries and told him I'm not going to tolerate this behavior anymore. That's when it started to shift. And I put that message on that mirror because I wasn't going to do that anymore. And then the boundaries were in place and he didn't like it. And it just got worse and worse. And that's when I decided, you know, I had to take a stand and I had to leave. And it was scary as hell. Really scary to leave. Yeah, I believe But you. I knew I had to. I have a huge question for you. Yeah. <clears throat> when you observe one of the many mental health issues such as narcissism, it is based on fear of abandonment and rejection. They feel that they do everything and they keep on getting the feedback they don't. And they actually break and eat alive energetically their victims or their loved ones who become their victims. However, there is a fine line. And I want to talk about that fine line because I know that when we are victim of narcissism, there is that pattern of taking on us the full responsibility as if we are the problem and not the other one who keeps on deflecting and rejecting on us and gaslighting us and all of that. Are you able to pinpoint what is a healthy dose of putting boundaries, not tolerating anymore, and and um, and feeling okay and enough compared to the narcissist who could listen to you and say, oh, very good. Okay, let me put on my boundaries. Okay, so not only I break you, but now I put my boundaries and you are not to actually break that. How can... How can we make the difference between a healthy boundary and a narcissistic boundary? It's not easy as a question, and we may not have an answer, but we can brainstorm together. Yeah. So I did recognize I was in some narcissism with my relationship, and I didn't see it until he brought it up. And he had been going to some counseling, and he said he called me a narcissist. And I know that usually when we're naming something about somebody else, we have to look in their own mirror. And I thought, is he looking in the mirror at himself? There's a whole lot of narcissism. I saw it as his mother. She didn't want him getting married. She didn't want him to be happy. She was a horrible person to be around. Um, then I started to see it in him. And, you know, when we see something in somebody, we have to recognize our own. It's our ego. But it's when our ego gets out of hand that narcissism can become a full-blown thing. And, you know, I don't know that he was a full-blown narcissist, but he definitely had a lot of gaslighting going on and definitely love bombing me at times. It made me, oh, I, I want to stay now and, you know, it's working. And then it was back to, you know, gaslighting again and making me the bad guy all the time when I bring something up, I was always in the wrong, you know. So those boundaries, what they look like to me from what I put up is just, you know, I'm not going to tolerate 
when you're yelling, when you calm down, we can have a conversation, um, that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not going to be around if you're, and if you're not going to talk to me, then we don't have a relationship anymore. I'm, I am going to leave, you know, this is over. Let's get lawyers. You know, I've said that a few times. And I'm not sure what you mean by narcissistic boundaries, because what he would do is just shut down and disappear and figure if he just didn't talk to me, then he would save the relationship. But he wasn't saving the relationship. He's making it worse by not talking to me. He was abandoning me. And those issues were big for me because I had enough abandonment as a child, you know? So I'm not sure. As soon as they are caught, they have two, two options. Going into an explosive rage. That's one of the options, which is usually pretty dangerous, depending for who. Or indeed, stonewalling. Yeah. Like cold shoulder, silence treatments, ignoring you or hiding away. They do that. Yeah. In all honesty, I adapted some of that too. Going into, I was never allowed my anger and never allowed my emotions. So I would just, it would start bubbling up because I had had enough, you know, and then I would be just as angry and yelling and shutting the door and not wanting to talk anymore. So I had to learn how to develop a healthy relationship with myself and allow yeah. those emotions and give myself permission to have them in a healthy way. I'd go scream out in the woods. I'd go beat a pillow. I'd learn to do it in a different way versus doing it towards my partner. Or toward yourself. Yeah. Or towards myself. Yeah. Beat myself up a lot. I was my own worst enemy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thinking I wasn't enough. Right. During those years of, because one of the things I call that kind of situation is also self-abuse because we allow ourselves to go through such a deep, yeah, a deep toxic relationship with ourselves. With so much, such a low self-worth, such a low self-love. I mean, I even call that sometimes inexistence, like there is none. There is this instinct of staying alive, but not more than that. It's like, okay, I seem to be alive. However, I don't feel alive. If you really answered that question, how are you feeling? And you are in that state. And you hit the nail on the head there. Yep. Exactly. Definitely. Huge insecurities. Exactly. And actually, if you are the narcissist in the relationship and, and I, I address that because when we are in that kind of relationship there is a fine line between understanding who is indeed completely far gone with a narcissistic personality disorder and who is being gaslit to the point of starting to show some signs which are similar to narcissism, but are actually coping mechanisms to try to deal with rejection, abandonment, emotions, being rejected, and all of that. Right. It's not easy to just say black and white, but it's important to recognize what you mentioned is correct. Ask a narcissist to put up boundaries, and it's going to actually be a rage. <laughs> it's not going to be a healthy no I won't and get with you right however they are going to disappear yep and ask someone who is not suffering from this mental disorder 
to actually put up boundaries. There is going to be some resistance and some fear, and then give it a try. Okay, now you say no. Okay, what? No? <laughs> what? <laughs> I start to change the dynamic, you know? Right. What kind of boundaries do you suggest your clients to put up? What kind of boundaries do you suggest? Um, well, it depends on who they're with and what's going on. Um, I had a client just recently whose husband wasn't really listening to her. And so she kind of had to put in a healthy a boundary is not about keeping someone out either. It's about keeping them in, in a healthy way. So she put up, you know, she started a date night and said, this is what I want to start talking about with you. I want to have conversations with you. I want to know whether I want to stay in this relationship with you. Here's some things to think about. Here's a little quiz to take. She started giving him stuff to do kind of to be in those parameters. For me, I had to put up a boundary about the way I was spoken to. Um, it was, it was, you know, the gaslighting, the constantly putting it back on me. And I kept saying, can you please look at your own self and stop always looking at me as the one being in the wrong and look at what you're doing? Because when we're pointing, the, you know, we start almost like coach talking to him, which might've been worse and just flared his narcissism even more because he didn't like it. I wasn't his therapist. He would shout back at me and I'm like, I'm not trying to be, but I'm trying to heal here. And, you know, I want you to, too. I wanted to heal together. And so just, you know, I had to, those boundaries for me were about, and might be for some other women who do a lot of codependency. It's just, you know, I'm not going to be spoken to. I'm going to take time for myself. That's a big one. People don't take time for themselves. There, you know, this woman I just spoke to that's thinking about doing my program. She's doing it all. She has a career and she's doing the household chores. She's doing the cooking. Why her husband just screams and yells and bitches about all this stuff. And she's like, enough, like I'm, I'm doing everything. I need time for myself. And I need to coach her to carve that time out, to put in that boundary, like these hours are for me, or this weekend's for me, or this day is for me, or I'm doing me time. Self-care is so important when you're dealing with codependency or narcissist or any anybody in your life that's toxic. Self-care is so important. And we feel that guilt. We feel like we're not enough. We feel unworthy of doing things for ourselves. And we got to get past that. We got to see our own divine light and worthiness. We deserve it. Mm. I think you answered that question amazingly well. Thank you, Karen. Truly amazing. I think you enlightened us and you and you really like give us a sense of direction. Thank you. So important. It is. It truly really is. It truly really is. All right. People will want to reach out to you. What do we have as a website for you? It's uh, www.karencrop.com. All right. Karencrop.com. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, of course, in the description, there is all your links, all, all, all that there is available to you. And if ever you decide to change your URL, which I doubt, <laughs> but it's possible, uh, just let me know and we will update it. All right? Sure. Karen, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. It was nice meeting you. Thank you.